This is the Tactical Leader Podcast, where we're on a journey of self-mastery and true leadership. I believe that in order to lead others, you must first be able to lead yourself. And in order to lead yourself, you have to first know yourself. If you want to learn the tactics to get to know yourself, to lead yourself, and to lead others, stay tuned to hear from industry experts as I unpack the tactics that they've used to build their business, build culture, and lead others. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of The Tactical Leader. Today, I have the honor of speaking with Tevis Trower, and we're going to talk about how she's created the Game Changers Guide to Radical Success. Before we begin, I remind you that this show is brought to you by Nightly Productions. If you are a brand that is looking to create brand awareness and create tactical content that delivers while sharing your voice, head over to nightly.productions to learn more and see how we can help you create that content. Tevis, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Zach. Oh, I am super excited about it. And I want to give the audience a little bit of a background on you because you do have a really fascinating background where the, the background that you sent over doesn't include the military part, but you were in the Army yourself, the Army Reserves. You've had an incredible journey where you're now the founder and CEO of Balanced Integration and the author of The Game Changer's Guide to Radical, Radical Success. And you know that building a great organization begins with cultivating true greatness from the very top. You've coached high performers, top executives, and powerful organizations ranging from Disney to KKR and leveraging their most precious asset, their humanity. And a sought-after, get-them-thinking, laughing, and interacting speaker, you've headlined events with Fast Company, Harvard Business Review events, Pier 150, Bloomberg, Conscious Capitalism, Google, the list goes on and on. So you're obviously a very powerful speaker, and I can't wait to chop it up with you today. Uh, Before we begin, I want you to just give us a fun fact. Let's start off with something that we might not know about you. Oh, my God. Well, I am an audiophile. My whole life, I was always the nerd who had tons of albums and then would make mixtapes for my friends. And But what's funny is I always had friends who played instruments, but no one in my family ever played an instrument. And so sometime around my late 40s, I know I'm dating myself here, I finally acted on my desire to play an instrument. And so I started taking some guitar lessons with a little acoustic and it sounded horrible. (laughs) And I realized, damn, there's a lot, there's a lot to this. And at this age, I may never get good. And so I'd put it down and then I'd go back to it and put it down and go back to it. But I finally joined a little adult rock program. Like I knew that I was never or, or never going to, it could happen, have the talent or assiduousness or the years and hours under your belt it takes to get good at this stuff to put together a band and, you know, to make a demo and to get into clubs and all that stuff. So I joined this adult rock program and I got to tell you, Zach, I just performed last weekend with famous people. Like I was on the stage. Yes. I was on the stage with Meatloaf's daughter, right? Her name's Pearl Aday, and she is an incredible vocalist. Oh my God. She would open her mouth and amazingness would come out. And her husband, Scott Ian, he's the lead for a little band in the metal world called Anthrax, right? So so it's like this moment where you never know where a little secret dream of a hobby is going to land you. And above and beyond anything, it was just a hell of a lot of fun. They, like everybody, are just human beings. Same thing. So easy to 
put anyone up on a pedestal, whether it's an amazing and famous CEO, a public figure. But but when you really spend time around people, you are reminded over and over again that we are all just human beings. We're all actually made of the exact same stuff. I love that. Congrats on that performance. It's funny. I picked up the piano right about a year ago as rehab for nerve injury I suffered in Afghanistan and uh, losing use of a hand. So I picked up the piano to learn um, that dexterity again. And I, I'm kind of, apparently I need to go join a rock group because I'm up and down with it. You know, weeks you I'll play. I'm serious. That's funny. Having to show up for other people and wanting to be the best weak link that you can possibly be. Like, <laughs> you know, you're going to be the weak link because, because you're starting at the age that we're each at. But wanting to be the optimal of what you are capable of, it will force anyone like you or me or the folks who tune in to apply some discipline, right? I'm going to do this. I'm going to, I might hate it. I might be in a great mood. Who knows? I just have to show up, right? And I I love that. I think that really leads into just great leadership lessons as a whole where, you know, you have to show up and, and a big piece of what you focused on. I want to highlight your book right off the rip, The Game Changer's Guide to Radical Success. And there is so many amazing aspects. You've been profiled across Huffington Post, uh, WebMD, CNN, Forbes, Inc., Fox Business, you name it. You've kind of been across the gambit of being featured. Um, it's available on Audible, obviously across other platforms. And, and a big piece of it is... It's a roadmap for aligning your next deeply with your fundamental truth, yielding what most long-term, most long to experience in this lifetime. You have 10 cut to the chase chapters that are really breaking down different pieces of empowering lean-in tools. Give us a rundown. What is this book really about? Who is it for? What can we learn from all of these lessons you've put into the book? Well, this is not for the walking wounded, right? This isn't some kind of, oh my gosh, my life's a mess and I don't know how to do anything. This is actually a book for people who know how to function in the world and they can't figure out why it's not working for them, right? So part of what happened was I got into this question of why do we all go to work every day? And so many of us really don't enjoy it, right? We groom ourselves for decades, arguably, and some it starts in childhood. We figure out that we want to play the power game and whether the venues in the military and corporations and sports, right, et cetera, we figure out how do I win? And a lot of us are motivated by a sense that if I win, I'm going to get more of something. I'm going to get more love. I'm going to get more money. I'm going to get more respect. I'm going to get more power. Like all of these ways that we safeguard ourselves and having a sense that I'm going to make the most of this life and this is how I'm going to do it. Right. And so we go through life and men do this same as women. It shows up in different ways, but all of us are trying to figure out how do I be a good girl or a good boy, right? And what happens along the way is we get really good at honing those skills, right? We become articulate. We make sure we go to a school or somehow get cultivated in such a way that that we continue to work towards a trajectory that whatever mysterious algorithm in our head has said is valid, right? 
And what happens along the way, particularly for high performers, is we're going for the next carrot constantly, right? And we're strategizing, strategizing, strategizing. But what we don't understand is that along the way, oftentimes we're severing or curating aspects of ourselves that don't fit in with that idea that we have bought into, right? So a lot of times you get incredibly talented assiduous, hardworking, determined human beings who are really going for it and have made significant contributions to whatever they have done. But something's ringing hollow, right? And I'm really grateful the book came out when it did. I started to work on it in 2011 and I, you know, kept rewriting it and rewriting it. But it hit in 2020. We got it out there in August of 2020. And it was such a timely thing. It's that whole thing that had I known COVID was going to come and so many people were going to start to question, you know, the meaning of life and, you know, do I redesign? Do I quit? You know, blah, blah, blah. Then I would have been, oh, it's great. It's taking so long to come out. But as it is, I was just really, really, really grateful because these are questions that that I got steeped in and coaching high performers at places like Bloomberg and Disney and Google and Soros and KKR. I kept running into this over and over and over again. So many superpowers embedded in one human being and so little time or attention really directed towards what is it that I want? What is it that I need? It's more about who am I supposed to be, right? How do I win at this game I've signed up for? And for a while, we can bullshit ourselves. We can have another cocktail or we can, you know, sign up for another social group or, you know, just try and spend some more time with our kids or try and spend less time with our kids, right? Do more house projects. I mean, you name it. But a lot of us at some point are not able to hit the snooze button on that voice inside that says, hey, I'm here and I don't get why I'm not happy. And I think it's really interesting because it, it's a piece that you love talking about and it's talking about, is that success piece enough, right? You finally made it, you hit that goal. And it's one of those, a lot of high achievers that I see, we are always setting goals, right? But as you hit those, you always have like that hangover, right? The success hangover, whatever you want to call it, where you dip back down, right? Because it's never enough. It's never enough. And it really truly isn't. And I know myself, it's always, I have to, I know for a fact, I always have to, if I get close to a goal, it's like, ah, I'm about to achieve it. We got to set a new one, right? You have to keep pushing that forward. What is that that metric of success for you that you teach people? How do you keep them motivated, not have that like dip off, that hangover at the, as they reach that goal and they've quote unquote made it, How do you keep that motivation moving forward instead of having that fall back? Well, I think think it's a different question, Zach, to be honest. I think you're right about having a success hangover, but I don't actually usually see it work out in the way that you're saying that it's like, I'm not going to keep moving forward. In fact, it makes us even more almost panicked. Like, well, I hit that goal and it's still not enough. So what do I do next? Right. So, so it's more this sense of what do we really think hitting these goals is about? Is it about a desired experience, a desired outcome? Like I will be happy when, right. I will feel accomplished when I will be enough. I'll know that, that I'm really impressive when, right. 
And so part of what I came to understand was that first and foremost, high, high performers, a lot of times are running from a lot of demons inside, which are the flip side of that, which is I am not enough. I'm not impressive enough. I'm not valid. I am a fraud. <laughs> I am making it up as I go along, right? And so it's really that question of what is it that we are going after all this stuff for? Because that drive is so compulsive, and I've got it too. That drive is so compulsive that when we never stop to say, why did I set myself up for all this? What is it I thought that would do for me? Because whether you look at the Bible, you look at the Bhagavad Gita, you look at any of the wisdom traditions, all of them are saying that you can't do it for the for the anticipated outcome, right? You have to exert as you exert for the joy of the exertion itself, right? So when we really shift and we we start to ask ourselves that question, it gets into that question of what form of success have I been chasing? Is it an extrinsically dictated one that I heard about from coaches and parents and family members? Or maybe I was really surrounded by people who didn't model things I respect in life. And so I wanted to be the opposite of what they were, right? So no matter where you come into that goal setting that is really about proving something or having something, and you shift and you start to ask yourself, well, crap, if I was just exerting, if I just acting, if I were just valuing, if I were interacting from a place that truly gives me a sense of fulfillment, what are the things that I would be doing? What aspects of who I am are really key for me to feel complete in life? And what's cool about this is when you do this process, it doesn't mean you have to quit your job, right? People are oftentimes afraid that if they're even a little bit more true to themselves, it's going to blow everything up because they have this fear that everything they are and everything they represent in the world is such a house of cards that if they move one card, the whole thing's going to come tumbling down. And actually what I've seen is a lot of times it's these really tiny, tiny, tiny shifts that give birth to a whole new strength. And when you're shifting things like this, where would you apply it? Is this personal shifts, professional shifts, things that are part of like the self-awareness, self-mastery journey? Or is this something that you turn toward a coach, a mentor, an accountability partner? Where are you seeing these shifts really happen? I see them, the place through which I've been most engaged has been through the place of work, right? So it's been people's high performance kind of status at work that it's resulted in them having access to this pursuit, right? I think you and I both know that you cannot meaningfully change in one area of life without there being a ripple out effect in every area of your life. So how do I see it work best? I see it work best, one, when we stop hitting the snooze and we say, there's got to be more. There's got to be better. There has to be more fulfilling. I cannot believe that if there's a God in heaven, that he or she would make all of us to sleepwalk and go through the motions, birth, school, work, death, as the song says from the 80s, right? Like that, that, that can't be it. Or I'm thinking of the talking heads. This is not my beautiful house. This is not my beautiful life, right? This kind of, I have all this, but how does this work? And so part of how I've seen it is when we, instead of turning away from that hunger 
and that longing, we turn towards it and we say, I have to get on the other side of this. And we enter into what you would call a self-mastery and authenticity process, a self-exploration. So often we want to do that by, by reading the article or by watching the TED Talk or by hearing the podcast. And we think that's the growth, right? Because we're having a cognitive experience that, that shifts maybe a neurological pattern here or there, right? That is actually not a visceral change. A visceral change is when you take a notion of an idea that might be uncomfortable and say, how am I bullshitting myself about this? Right? <laughs> like, how am I snowing myself about this? And I see this a lot in work environments where you've got an executive team and they bring in someone like me who's who's good at calling it like it is and share some data and you know talk through the dynamics and what's working and what's not and suddenly you've got this heads nodding right and everyone's around the the big fancy conference room table and they're all nodding their heads like yeah I knew it I knew it and they're really hoping that Bob or Zach or Sally get their ass handed to them. Like, like finally, someone's going to tell them they're the problem, right? Because none of us usually think that either in the context of our work or our lives that we are the problem, right? So what's lovely about having this exposed in work is you've got a feedback mechanism that's already built in, right? And the form of KPIs, performance, you know, et cetera. You don't have to do this because your work tells you to. Most of us need to do it because there's some conviction inside of us that something's got to change. The components to that, I think you're absolutely on point and asking, is it having an accountability partner? Is it having a coach? I think all those things are key to just what is it going to take for you to be honest with yourself? Because you need some transparency. You need some eyes on you because left in the dark, most of us are going to go back to the way that we were. And so that's actually built into the structure I put into the book is what are you going to do to give yourself accountability? Not everybody can afford a coach, right? Not everybody has a life partner or a family member or someone at work that's interested in this stuff. So how do we find people around us? or join a game changer group, obviously, to help ourselves stay the course and make these shifts. Because as small as most of the shifts are, they still scare us. Yeah, I think any type of shift or change pivot, I mean, we all had to face it in different ways during COVID, obviously being the most recent event where I think this wasn't a choice, right? A lot of people had to do these things without a choice in the matter. Just here's life hitting you upside the head and you have yeah. to kind of move and groove and I know a big piece of what you talk about also is leaders are really able to pivot and really able to be radical in their thought process and really shifting and changing. Is there anything that beyond that as a leader you look for in other leaders to cultivate? Is there like a characteristic or something that you really think leaders should double down on as a strength in their leadership of others? Well, let's talk about the word radical, right? Because especially these days, we hear that word and we tend to think it's talking about folks on the other side of the spectrum, right? We just it's it's, merely political or yeah, political or religious, right? Or feminist or toxic masculinity, you know, all these things that all of us are throwing around everywhere. But let's go back to what is radical because 
this ties right into genius. It ties right into the ability to be human without experiencing that as a weakness or something that is soft, right? What is radical? Where does that word come from? It comes from the word root, the radis, right? The root of something, the root of who we truly are, right? And if you agree that whatever it is that animates Zach's body is different from what animates my body, right? Then there are things that are radically true of you, that are true of you from your roots. And when you are operating from a place that you are thinking from your roots, you are making choices from your roots, and you're listening from your roots, you become almost, I'm trying to think of the right word, invulnerable, right? Because no one can attack you. These are things that are indivisible from who you are. They just are, right? And your friends could probably speak to some of those qualities. You probably know some of those qualities about yourself. But when we look at trust studies and when we look at the process of creativity, right? Trust studies say that everyone wants around them. And I can quote you from McKinsey. I can quote you from the Edelman Trust Barometer has done a lot of work on trust and organizations. They're great studies. I encourage you to look at them because all of them are really saying that what we want is people who are transparent, people who are real, right? People who, if they don't know, say, I don't know, but we're going to figure it out together, right? People who know that pretending to have all the answers is probably about the dumbest thing that you can do because all of us know at this point, none of us have all the answers. So when you model that to me, you not only tell me I need to be a bullshitter too, but you tell me I can't trust you because you're never going to be honest with me, right? So these qualities of dialing back into what is the fundamental truth of who you are and how do you operate from that place means it's a lot easier to not know. It's a lot easier to admit a failing, right? Why is that so hard for leaders in business? Like, let's kind of think about that. A leader in sports, a leader in the media, it's always their hero story that that we fall in love with. Like, that's what we fall in love with each other. So why is it that we get to work and we think we have to pretend? And this is really a fundamental question for all of us in this conversation, including those who are listening. Like, what is it that you're pretending around? Because chances are people can feel it and they can't figure out why you're hiding. And they really wish you would just come out and show up. Well, we recognize, and or what I recognize in that same line of conversation is when you're faking that, right? Or when you're not being authentic, it's like the individuals around you, their sensories will start picking up on that, right? They're going to start feeling that something's off, something's not right. I can't put my finger on it, but... Neural receptors are going crazy. Your science, your nerd term for it. Nerd term for it. (laughs) It's spidey sense, man, right? Your intuition, right? At the end of the day, it's that intuition is going to start taking over and people are going to call you on that. And I I think we see it more and more social media where, and I see this in my world more in the entrepreneurship space where you see these people are posting this glamorous lifestyle across social media and they never talk about the struggles. They never talk about this other stuff. Then when you meet them in person, you're like, Oh, you're totally different than what your brand presents itself as online. Right. And I think in the corporate world, I'm so over the personal brand. And when that (laughs) came rolling through corporate speak that like each, each person, each leader should have their personal brand and is how they dress on brand is 
this email or this statement or, you know, this, this, or I'm just like, Jesus Christ, brands have been trying to imitate human beings and human qualities since branding was invented. I came out of a marketing background, right? They have wanted to co-opt how we think, right? To convince us that we need to be something as manufactured and artificial as a brand in order to communicate who we are just spits in the face of the fact that you have 8 million neural receptors in you, as does everyone paying attention to this. And we are picking up on truths about each other constantly. And can we not just trust that when we show up and speak our truth, that what conveys is adequate for us to stand for the values that we really care about? Because that's what we want from each other. I don't want your brand. Frankly, I'm not going to trust it anyway. (laughs) What I find interesting is when people do show up as authentically themselves, and I see this in my personal life, business life, clients' lives, we as a society have almost trained people to be too sensitive to handle that at the same time. Because a lot of times you come up as that authentic person, there are truths that are authentically the truth about different people. And I almost feel like the society that we are cultivating isn't prepared for that now because we're so used to, oh, you have to be on brand, you have to do all these other things. And now we're kind of losing like what that honesty and transparency truly looks like, because sometimes that can be a little bit more what would you say brash, a little bit more tough yeah. talk that, you know, my parents grew up that way. Right. And it's one of those that I was raised that way. The military is that way, but you get out into society and it's like, you have to walk on eggshells egg, egg around people. And I, I feel like that there's that weird dynamic now, right. That dichotomy well. where it's like back and forth, where can you really be yourself without offending half the populace or half the people around you? We're at a moment with a pendulum, right? Where it's gone from you can say anything to you can't say anything, right? And I think that there's really a point, a balancing point that hopefully society will trend towards. And I do believe that the books like mine and a lot of the folks who have appeared on your show offer a lot of insight and wisdom and practices around. And that is... How do you be true unto you without having it be against, right? So you're not expressing over, you're not manipulating under, you're not under expressing, you are simply standing for you, right? And so that none of that is a relational statement of that this is how I am, therefore you must be, right? That you simply stand for what you believe in and for what is true. And unfortunately, I think a lot of times that truth gets convoluted into a power over or a manipulating under um, kind of a power struggle. And, and, and it's an unfortunate, but I think almost a sophomoric stage of human development, right? We go from command and control, my way or the highway, this way it's got to be and I'll crap all over you if you don't do my way, you know, that kind of stuff. So you go from that into the swing, you know, to the opposite that everything is kid gloves and no one says what they feel because all of us are terrified of each other, especially with social, right? Somehow we've got to evolve through that and get to this place where we realize we are kind of all stuck on this planet together for as long as we have it, right? 
And that for each of us to be able to stand in dignity and self-expression and work towards solutions to problems, we have got to learn to freaking listen to each other. And that's what's kind of, I think, fallen to the wayside for the time being. But I do believe that humanity, with its steps forward and steps backwards, the trajectory is that we come back towards a higher level of understanding and skillfulness, right? And maybe I'm overly optimistic because that's what all the wisdom traditions teach us, but I'd rather be optimistic than a cynic because at this point, I think that cynicism is one of our greatest enemies, just mm-hmm. as, a, as a human race. And looking at all of that, I would imagine, and, I, and having talked to you, I think you're more of that student of life, right? You're on a journey of learning. Has there been like one resource that's been a catalyst for you along this way that you can recommend, whether it's been a podcast, a mentor, a book, something that you found that really helped shape your thought on this at this point? So I'm a learning junkie, which I think a lot of podcast listeners are. And the most formative experiences usually come to us in our youth, right? Because that's where the big new impressions are made. And um, Zach, like you, I was in the army. Of course, I was a reservist. So I was a weekend warrior. You were the real deal. And being thrown into a pot of, of human beings, you have no prior selection ability, right, to choose from. Like there were kids from Puerto Rico. There were kids from the Bronx. I was a kid from a working class family in Atlanta, Georgia, right? Like we were thrown into this soup of like 120 kids to get through boot camp. And this was an officer training kind of a boot camp because I because that's how I got involved in all this. But when you spend time with people and you don't have an ability to curate, right? And you just have to deal. And there is no power structure inherent other than the drill instructors. So all the community, all the social systems all the ways of influencing really become not from a position of positional power, right? But it's really through personal power. It's really through that gravitas, right? The dignity, the respect, the playfulness, the confidence, et cetera, et cetera. When you begin to navigate through situations like that, and you start to realize, wow, it's really about how you show up. It's not about how much money you have. It's not about your title. It's not about how pretty you are or how how athletic, et cetera. It's really about how you show up and treat others, right? So that's been a huge lesson for me. One of the most formative books that I read that really showed me a way to talk about this in corporations meaningfully, it's a book that was written in the 80s by a guy named Michael Ray. And he was the marketing chair professor at Stanford Graduate School of Business. He also happened to be a yogi. And how do you look at authenticity in work, whether you're a CFO, a CMO, a CHRO, no matter what you are, CEO, how do you look at cultivating that in such a way that is practical and expressible? And he baked it into a 10-week course called Creativity in Business that was then covered by 2020. Like No one had talked this way in corporations before. Inc. called it the most important book in business of all time. Of course, I was, you know, forever. I'm sure they do other things. PBS actually came and filmed it. 
it really shook the foundation of the command and control assumptions way back then, like in the 80s. And it gave birth to a ton of copycat programs, which is the highest form of flattery, as we all know. But that book really showed me about this thing called The X Factor. So George Gilder also wrote a book called The X Factor back in the 80s as well. And he was talking about how some people walk into the room and you just feel moved by them. You feel their presence. They are somehow more alive in their own skin, right? There's a resonance because nothing in them is in contradiction with who they are, right? So I got really curious about all of this. And as a blue collar kid who grew up with the ability to kind of hang out and talk to anybody, it really drove home to me that this ability to bring your humanity forth is not a question of privilege. It's a question of decision, right? And so that's been a guiding conviction for me throughout. And how do we cultivate that? And oftentimes power and privilege can actually muddy that because we get lazy and we start to rely on it as opposed to doing the hard work. So I absolutely love that. I think that that is a great lesson for all of us to take and learn if we possibly can. And Tavis, I want to know everything you're doing. Obviously, you're putting a lot of work into into the world with balance integration, everything you're doing with your book. Um, Again, that's titled The Game Changer's Guide to Radical Success. Um, You're obviously going across doing so much for people. What is the legacy you're wanting to leave on the world with all the amazing works you're doing? You know, I think that that if through putting our convictions out there and, and through actually embodying them, right? Through every interaction that we have, it, it could be a moment on an elevator. It could be a moment in a taxi cab. It could be just a moment of us, you know, connecting through, through the pixels, right? That we're connecting through now. I think that there's a real opportunity to invite each other into being real. And by being real, I mean by speaking from a level of wisdom and truth that helps not only calm the world, but also helps it move forward. And so the reason I chose to work with leaders was because I really saw the ripple out effect, right? They we touch a ton of lives. And by that, we touch a ton more lives, right? The ripple out is just exponential. But but I don't care if you're new in your career. I don't care if you are a barista who's um, thinking about other changes in your life. Like No matter who you are, the way you treat yourself is something that others are going to feel. And it's going to impact their ability to both trust you and to be authentic with themselves. And if there's one thing that 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 I think that the world does need more of is it is more, shall we say, integrated human beings. Because right now a lot of us are pretty fragmented. Very, very true. And I love that mission. And every, obviously you're putting out all of that out there. And I want to give the audience an opportunity. What's the best way for them to reach you, connect with you, find out more about you? I know you have a ton of content on your website from blogs to other podcasts you've been on. How do they find the book? Give us all the resources. Okay. Well, you can find me on Twitter as Corporate Yogi. You can find me on my website as uh, balanceintegration.com. You'll find a lot about the curriculum that we have been talking about. I do 
upload all the podcasts I'm on. I add them to that site as they come out. I have been a little bit quiet over the past couple of months in terms of posting on LinkedIn, et cetera, because as you and I talked about, I had a home invasion in November. And it's amazing how even as a leader who's got everything figured out, I had you know, the camera systems in place, et cetera, et cetera. Life happens, right? And so so I'm kind of gearing up to come back out of the winter cave now that it's springtime and um, start to create some content again. So I'm looking forward to it. Absolutely love it. I definitely encourage everybody to go check those resources out. Of course, pick up a copy of the book. It's truly amazing. The Game Changers Guide to Radical Success and try that one more time. The Game Changers Guide to Radical Success. Get that all out. And of course, this Friday, we're going to have you back. We're going to talk a little bit more about the tactics behind a lot of what you're focusing on on Tactical Friday. Uh, Tevis, I just want to say thank you so much for your time today. And I look forward to chatting Friday. Thank you so much for having me, Zach. It's been fun. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Tactical Leader Podcast. If this episode helped you along your journey of self-mastery and has inspired you to do more, I challenge you to head over to myvoicechallenge.com so you can find out how you can discover your voice, claim your independence, and build that thriving business that you've always wanted. Again, that's myvoicechallenge.com.